Thanks to LinkedIn for supporting today's episode of Market Foolery. LinkedIn Jobs uses knowledge of both hard and soft skills to match you with the people who fit your role the best. Post a job today at linkedin.com slash fool and get $50 off your first job post. It's Tuesday, July 23rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio from Motley Fool Asset Management Funds, Bill Barker. Good to see you. Thanks for making the trip. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I just want to say that Bill didn't just make the trip from his home. He was driving back from Philadelphia. So, this is literally like getting off the road to come into the studio. So, thank you for that. And what a day for it, because we've got the latest results from three quintessential American brands, Hasbro, Harley-Davidson. We're going to start with Coca-Cola. Second quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Coca-Cola raised guidance. The stock is up 5% and hitting a new all-time high. This was this was really good for Coca-Cola. Yeah, another another good quarter. Um, one thinks of it as a you know quintessential American brand, and certainly you can look at some of its performance that way. But the thing you've really got to be excited for is uh, the coffee, and uh, that's uh, less U.S. based than uh, than foreign. And so, as a global brand, having acquired uh, Costa Coffee. A five billion dollar acquisition that closed in January, and that looks like that's going to be a potential major growth engine for for Coke. It's interesting because the organic growth for Coca Cola in this latest quarter was a little bit better than expected, and this is this is one of those companies that's so big that anytime you can move organic growth one percent higher, two percent higher, something like that, it it. It really, it really helps out because for a long time, Coca-Cola, Pepsi, a, a, a lot of the headlines around these companies has been the acquisitions that they've made, going out to buy growth, and obviously, Costa Coffee was a step in that direction. But uh, but the organic growth for for Coca-Cola was a nice surprise, I thought. Yeah, plus six percent for the quarter and five percent guidance for the for the year, up from four percent. You know that includes a little little bit of inflation, so the organic growth still pretty good, and potentially more acquisitions on the way. We'll see. I think that it's not. You know this this was really. A really good quarter uh, because it is so big that there aren't major surprises. Typically, there really shouldn't be. There shouldn't be because it's got so many different, you know, brands and and they don't move dramatically in in short periods of time. Uh, so a surprise of this magnitude is is about as much as you can hope for. I think if you're a Coca-Cola shareholder, you're also hoping for a couple more quarters like this, not necessarily you know. Knocking the cover off the ball, but doing a little bit better than expected. Because over the last five years, if you're a shareholder of Coca-Cola, you've made money, but you're looking at Pepsi and thinking, ah, I'd rather have owned that stock for the last five years because it's basically doubled what Coca-Cola has done. So if Costa Coffee can continue to be a growth story for them, then maybe things are turning in their direction. Yeah, Coke Zero, I guess, is uh, now had uh, three years of double-digit volume growth, and uh, that's a, a part of the growth story here as well. Uh, but you know, really, how can you compete with coffee when it comes to growth possibilities? No, you can't. You can't. It's a mistake too. Even if you're Coke, 
Exactly. You look and you finally say, what if we got into coffee? If, if only they'd done this seriously 20-some years ago. But uh, I think that it is, you can look at the cost acquisition. It's not well known to people in the U.S., of course, uh, but it's the largest, second largest um, coffee house in, in the world. And In the world? I thought it was just the second largest in Europe. It is the uh, largest in England, and it is the—I believe it's the second largest in the world. I mean, it's a di- sort of a distant second, but uh, nevertheless, it's bigger than you think. Is is kind of uh, what it comes down to. And now that it's got the uh, power and the capital of Coke behind it, uh, growth in places that it had not yet gotten to in a major way, like China, becomes more of a possibility. Last week, uh, Rich Dupree, who's one of our writers at Fool.com, published an article under the headline, How Bad Will Harley-Davidson's Second Quarter Report Be? And we got the answer to that, and it's pretty bad. Profits for Harley-Davidson came in almost 20% lower than a year ago. Is there any silver lining to this quarter? No. Well, okay, we can. Move no, I mean, <laughs> although the stock is up a tiny bit uh, today, uh, so not a lot was expected, as you can uh, tell from the uh, title of that story, uh, and not a lot was delivered. But uh, it's not as if uh, you know. I, I haven't read the conference call, so apparently that is being better received than the numbers. Uh, you know that the stock has sort of jumped around from. 33 34 35 uh, lately and uh, it's at 35 uh, at the moment maybe it'll settle 36 33 34 by the end of the day uh, it's uh, the longer term is is much more relevant and it's a stock which has sort of been flat for the last year uh, and has been down over the last uh, three five years yeah I haven't seen the call either but I'm assuming that Harley Davidson's management is, um, well, is saying things that are giving traders on Wall Street reason for optimism because the stock opened at 33 and now it's just about $36 a share. Is this, uh, is this a value stock at this point? Is this one of those things where if you just think, I'm going to buy a couple shares because I think um, they can turn it around? Because right, like, right now, it's hard for me to imagine. That the near-term picture for Harley Davidson is a pretty one. Well, in answering is it a value stock, I would say I would focus on one of the words that you used following that turnaround. Like, do you believe that there's a turnaround here, and where's the turnaround going to come from? Is it going to come from uh, international, which had been a pretty decent part of the story for Harley over the last couple of years? It's run into a couple problems. One is tariffs imposed by Europe. It has gotten sort of an end around on that by opening up uh, manufacturing in Thailand uh, in order to supply to Europe, uh, and has gotten approvals for getting out of the tariff, uh, the bulk of the tariff situation that way there. However, it's harder and harder to define what Harley is exactly as it gets a little bit away from the. This is a U.S. iconic brand. Everything's built in the U.S. Now it's not all built in the U.S. Having moved some of its manufacturing offshore, it has found the wrath of Trump, who has, uh, you know, sort of said, "Why not just boycott Harley if they're going to build 
uh, any of their bikes uh, out, outside of the country. So they, they can't kind of win uh, with a business strategy that, you know, there's, there's no foreseeable route currently to where they can or should build their bikes to satisfy everybody. We're going to do a little boots on the ground research by going to our man behind the glass producer, Dan Boyd. Dan, you bought a motorcycle in the last six months or so, didn't you? Yes, I did, Chris. I bought one in January, but I didn't buy a Harley Davidson. Do tell. I bought a Honda, a Honda Rebel 500, because, well, I'm a beginner when it comes to being a motorcycle rider, so I didn't want to buy a huge, super fast, super expensive bike in you know, kill myself. I wanted to buy something that would be smaller, manageable, easy to work on, and something where I could ease myself into uh, being a motorcycle rider. And uh, I, I knew going into it that I wasn't going to buy a Harley, because Harleys are not exactly the byword for reliability or fuel efficiency. Uh, they are way more expensive than imported bikes of the same size. And then there's the Harley Fan Club, which is hostile, <laughs> just just generally hostile. So, and I'm sorry, I'm probably alienating a few listeners here saying that. Uh, but certainly the ones who own Harleys. Wait, uh, hostile to who? Ho- hostile to everyone. There's there's like a oh man. Uh, okay, if you if and. and <laughs> And this is something that, as somebody who rides a imported bike, you know, you Har- Harley people who ride Harleys, if they see somebody who's not riding a Harley, oh, okay. they they are upset. And then, but there's like subsets of Harleys that make other Harleys uh, riders upset. Also, like smaller Harleys are called Sportsters, right? And they're they're fine bikes, and they're a lot of times you don't need a big giant 1,100 pound bike to get around a city or something. But Harley riders who see sports, sorry, Sportsters, call them. Well, they they use derogatory terminology that I'm not going to use on the radio here or uh, on the podcast, and uh, it's. The Harley fan club is like, a, a, I mean, there are some very rabid fans of Harley. And Harley, for a long time, was a byword for uh, individualism, for rebellion, for uh, going against the grain. Uh, but now it's it's completely flipped. Like, Harley is this big corporate monstrosity who represents all, all this sort of old traditional uh, values and stuff. And uh, motorcycling in general is in trouble. Uh, the European Commission just released a report saying that motorcycles are um, the like one of the least socially responsible ways to get around in Europe, which, I mean, there's a lot of disputes about that, but we don't have to go into that now. But motorcycle sales are down across everything. Motorcycle riding, new riders, new bike sales, like it's down across, it's a worldwide trend. And uh, I mean, you... If you're going to be selling bikes like Harley does that are more expensive than the competition, even though they're domestically made, uh, it's going to turn off a lot of new riders from buying Harleys because they're harder to get. So I remember talking to you back then, and I remember you talking to other people at the company who own motorcycles and sort of basically getting their two cents. Um, And I assumed at the time. You were open to buying a Harley just because of my ignorance about motorcycles in general and sort of the the brand options, that sort of thing. But it sounds like right out of the gate, you were like, no, 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 I'm going to talk to people here at the Fool, get their two cents. But I, I've already 
checked Harley off my list. For the most part, yeah, that's correct. I, I, if I had found like a crazy good deal on Craigslist for like a used Harley or something, then yeah, maybe I'd, maybe I would have done that. But I didn't, and I wasn't about to buy a new Harley when I could buy the same like the Harley Sportster 500 or 550 or something. I forget what it's called. Uh, is something like a thousand or twelve hundred dollars more than the Rebel 500 that I got, and. The and I actually got my Rebel on sale too, so I ended up saving like two grand instead of buying a Harley there. And if I'm gonna buy a beginner motorcycle, which is what these smaller bikes are meant to do, I'm not gonna spend seven thousand dollars on it. You know, I'll, I'll go with a five thousand dollar. I'm talking new, of course. The used bikes, of course, are, are way cheaper, but I wanted a new one. So yeah, I don't know. It's it seems to me like like it makes a lot of sense that their guidance is down, that their profits are down, and their quarter was not that great. See, I already was not optimistic about Harley's near-term future when you finished your analysis, Bill. But now, after hearing Dan, I think they might be in even more trouble. I know it's a data set of one, but that's uh, that's some user experience that, um, I don't know, that, that, that just doesn't look good for Harley. I mean, in Harley's defense, in terms of being a huge corporation, uh, they've been getting smaller for a long time now. <laughs> so maybe, you know, they, they sell as much product uh, today as they sold uh, 15 years ago, and they've got half the number of shares. So, it, in a sense, they are getting to where Dan wants to see them, which is more <laughs> of a niche brand. And I just want to say to any listeners out there, just because they didn't buy a Harley, just because I'm not a big fan of Harley Davidson's, it's not a personal attack. <laughs> if you have a Harley, I am not saying that you're a bad person. I'm not saying that you're a hostile person. I'm just saying that there is a somewhat of a stigma. Dan is it. not looking to fight you, is what you're saying. I, I would agree with that, yes. All right. But I will say that our email address is marketfool.com <laughs> for anyone who wants to weigh in on any issue. Quick shout out to LinkedIn. Hiring is not as simple as putting an ad in the paper or posting to a job board. And by the way, if you're looking to hire and you're posting, like you're you're putting out ads in a newspaper, drop us an email and we'll have a conversation and try and help you with that. Uh, when you're juggling hiring with everything it takes to grow your business, it's important that you reach the right candidates at the right time. And that's where LinkedIn comes in. LinkedIn does the legwork to match you to the most qualified candidates. So you can focus on hiring the person who will transform your business. You know how LinkedIn members have a profile with their work history and their skills? Well, every few seconds, those members are adding new skills to their profiles. They're applying to more than 30 jobs every two seconds. And that's how LinkedIn makes sure your job post gets in front of people with the right hard skills and the right soft skills to meet your role requirements. You can get $50 off your first job post. Just go to linkedin.com slash fool. That's linkedin.com slash fool for $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. Shares of Hasbro up 9% this morning after second quarter profits came in much higher than expected. Avengers Endgame is the biggest hit at the box office, and Hasbro has the licensing deal for the Marvel characters. And I think you can pretty much draw a straight line between those two facts. Um, uh, to see why their stock is doing as well as it is. Well, you can draw that line. There are a number of different elements, all of which seem to be going right. Uh, and one is that Hasbro is beginning to source more from outside China, uh, which is something the market wants to hear as uh, the trade war from with China continues, and and you know any. 
additional options other than building everything in China becomes uh, more valuable. And as they have taken a little time to get that ramped up, uh, nevertheless, their margins are still uh, improving. So they're they're going about this in a way that is uh, friendly to the bottom line. And as much as the Avengers uh, highlight uh, was was brought up. Um, you know the partnership revenue was up about three percent. It was it was not. You know, of course that that's comparing to last year, and there are just sort of blockbuster movies coming out from Disney all the time. And and Hasbro is fortunate to be the recipient of uh, more or less the merchandise for all of them. Frozen coming up, Star Wars later in the year, uh, all the Marvel stuff. Uh, so they're they're always sort of lapping something pretty good. Uh, so that wasn't as much of the driver as uh, just lapping a couple of problems. One, Toys R Us uh, being a big problem last year, and and having gotten p- more or less past that, uh, and and the China situation on top of you know increased demand for a lot of their uh, product. And you say that they're the recipient. I mean, let's be clear, they're the recipient of these licensing deals because they pay the Walt Disney Company. Hundreds of millions of dollars for the right to license. Yes, yes, and those deals are working out very well for them. Uh, not only right now, but in the recent past and in the slightly more distant past. Uh, I mean, Disney is kind of cornered the market on blockbusters at the moment, and uh, the rest of the year is shaping up to to look just as good. I mean, they're. Up uh, revenues worldwide up eleven percent adjusted for foreign currency nine uh, percent when you don't make that adjustment eleven percent growth for this company is pretty good. Absolutely, I was uh, a little surprised. Maybe I shouldn't be, but when I went to Hasbro's website, I was not surprised to see right there at the top they're they're promoting uh, Marvel characters. You know, Spider Man tied into the latest uh, movie Far From Home. But then you you scroll down and then they're highlighting their other brands, including board games. I was not aware that Hasbro owned Trivial Pursuit, you know, sort of classic board games. Trivial Pursuit, um, uh, Cranium, Risk. Like, okay, there you go. I don't I don't know who they're marketing to there, but um, you know, because those are I don't know. I feel like the board game. I'm probably going to get in trouble with David Gardner with this. I feel like the board game industry is a niche industry, and and maybe it's just like oh, there are good margins on the board games. They have, they have a long shelf life. You know, they probably don't. You know, once you make them, they probably don't cost much. To I don't know. Uh, yes, I'm, and I'm, I'm really showing my ignorance about board games here. Yeah, and and I won't be much less ignorant, but hopefully somewhat less ignorant because <laughs> because it's an easy act to follow. Yes, is my point. Uh, Monopoly, classic board game, one of Hasbro's brands. Um, Magic the Gathering, Play-Doh were all highlighted as as some of their their franchise brands, and these things have staying power for you know many, many, many decades, and can translate into things that are not strictly the board game that you are thinking of, um, but 
also into esports in in some way. I think Magic the Gathering is a, a better translation of that than Monopoly. Uh, again, probably we should hand this show over to Dan, who I think can do uh, more justice to this topic uh, than we can. And what is the Magic: The Gathering status uh, for e-games with you? Oh man, I e-sports, e-sports. Let's elevate this yes. to where they, you know, the terminology is being used now. Well, esports, as we you know, is, is getting bigger and bigger and bigger as, as time goes on. There's more, hundreds of millions of people tune in to watch the largest esports uh, tournaments or shows or, or whatever you want to call them. And uh, that's, that's only growing. As far as like physical board games and stuff, like I. Are you asking me to speculate on the future? Because I, I one, I'm not qualified for that, and and two, I, I don't, I, I don't know. I can't imagine that, that, just selling more and more copies of you know Monopoly or Trivial Pursuit is going to bring Hasbro to uh, the heights of Apple or Google or something. Yeah, no. If you're if you're a Hasbro shareholder, don't be looking to the board game section of the business to be the growth driver. No, but the board game section of the business has brands that extend into different different realms whether it's monopoly and being able to use that brand to uh, you know sell more things at McDonald's or or whatever or, or uh, I but believe... who's buying board games now like I feel well it's the value created by the board game which that can then be extended into other places I believe isn't there aren't they making a monopoly movie I mean you can see the plot immediately. Wasn't Wall Street from the '80s that movie with Charlie Sheen? Isn't that basically a Monopoly movie? That's that's actually no, that's not that's not a Monopoly movie. I mean, but you know the spirit of it. Um, can I just share my starring Kevin Hart? Really? Yeah. They're actually. You thought I was making stuff up? Well, it wouldn't be the first time on the show you've done that. Um, I'll I'll just uh, sorry. He's rumored. I'm looking at IMDb. There you go. Rumored, but you but he seems a natural for the plot of the movie that you're imagining here. I, Kevin Hart is one of those people where if he's in a movie, I'm automatically more interested to see the movie. It doesn't mean I necessarily go, but it 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 moves the needle in the right direction. Um, I, I will just say that my favorite uh, memory of board games was about 20 years ago. One of my brothers, who is very good at board games, he's very analytical. He's 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 very good at board games. He rented a beach house one summer and invited people to stop in. And so there was this afternoon where he and our other brother were the only people in the house. And we thought, oh, well, should we, let's see if there are any board games in this beach house. And the only board game was Candyland, a game which requires no skill whatsoever. And what was great was my brother, who's really good at board games, didn't win a single time. <laughs> We played like five times. I won a couple. My other brother won a few times, and uh, it was just a, it was a fun moment. Dan. So I just wanted to say one thing about one last thing about one more games. apology to Harley. No, no, drivers. no. no I've already apologized to them. Uh, so I do play a lot of board games uh, with you know friends and stuff, but the board games that we play aren't from Hasbro or uh, any of the big. Companies that make them—they're generally indie board games, and most of those these days are 
built on like Kickstarters and Indiegogos and things where people, you know, somebody will create a game and then uh, record a video about it, put it on Kickstarter and sell it for like 60 bucks or and then, you know, more for more special editions and stuff. And you get a bunch of people together and then these games come out. And I, I, I don't I, I mean, I don't know because I haven't done any research about this, but it seems to me that the board game space is getting just more and more competitive as crowdfunding as the you know the the internet and the connectivity that everybody's working with like i just feel like board games is a space that for a large company like that sure they probably have some game masters employed there that can make a good new game that people want to play but it's got to be so so competitive now and before we wrap up uh dan in terms of Twitter outrage and email outrage. Do you think we'll get more comments about the Harley conversation or the board game conversation? I don't know. That's a good. I'm excited to find out. Though. Yeah, we'll find out in the next couple of days. You're turning to me. Yeah, you look like you were working on something. I was but maybe working you're just on something. I was email. working on on no. It was uh, the movies. Movies based on board games. <laughs> and I think that uh, one of the things I was trying to determine whether and this is from a. From a search, uh, claiming that Jumanji was a board game, but it was a book. Oh, okay. So this is just a flaw in the internet algorithm. I think you're saying the internet has bad information on it. That's crazy. <laughs> you can read more from Bill Barker and his colleagues. Go to mfamfunds.com. Check out what they've got. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fuller. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.